now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey Adam, it's time for Notes on Your Notes. Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend Zellner. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a show about the creative process and storytelling. And yes, I came across a little formal today, Adam, but I'm excited. Josh is, has a smiley face on. <laughs> we, we know he's happy because he got both of his last name. Yeah, I got both the hyphenate in this time, so that's exciting for me. Um, it's 99.9% in. We're doing it. We're doing it. We just have one more little bit of information, but we're making our very first class offering with notes on your notes on the West Side here in Los Angeles. It's happening, folks. Josh and I have been talking about it for a while. We've gotten a lot of requests to teach. Josh just got back from teaching at Hollyhock, the premier retreat center in Canada. And we just really wanted to help people develop their creative process, people, actors, writers, directors, artists, folks who want to learn a process about how to tell their stories in a more engaging, authentic way, how to discover their stories in a more meaningful way. It's really a class we've both needed to teach for a while and have been teaching it ourselves in each of our own lives in a way. And so it's, uh, it's now time to do it together. And it's going to be a small group uh, in a safe space. And really, it's just so cool to see the stories and the type of work that emerge. I thought I would never say this, but save that date. Save the date. September 17th. It's a Monday night. We're going to go for seven Monday nights in a row. It's going to be awesome, man. And it'll culminate in an evening of sharing, mostly because Josh has to work with me, who's a little type A, and I would like to see (laughs) our students work towards at least some semblance of a final scene or a project or a story or something that they can then share with the world so they Mm -hmm. have that experience because I think it's really important for Mm -hmm. people to have that. And the other reason why it's so important, Adam, that you just brought up so eloquently is because we do create, release, relax. And sharing is a a lot of releasing. It's a way of getting it out into the world in a different way. Yeah, and that night will be a night where you can invite people you care about to come mm-hmm. and ha- see a part of you. Yeah. Part of you that they may not necessarily see, but it's an opportunity to share that part of you with the world, that, yeah. sto- that narrative storyteller yeah. part. Yeah. Two drink minimum, you know, don't forget to tape, tip your waitress, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no. and your teacher. No. And <laughs> tip your teacher. That's one. So uh, today. Today, on today, that note. On that note. Discoveries and choice points. Discoveries and choice points. What are we talking about? We're talking about wild and crazy stuff here, Adam. We're talking about actually one of the things that are, is essential to any story, no matter what your medium, and that is making discoveries, finding out things that are going on. And those finding out things are mostly coming at our central character, but it can also be the central character making a discovery, like discovering that they have a... A bed of a bed of uh, 
uh, rats in their basement, right? The main character could make that discovery. But a lot of times these discoveries that we're talking about in, in these stories is happens to the main character. Like the, the, the main character finds out that he or she is getting fired or that he or she is being cheated on or... Yeah, and the choice is always how to respond to the discovery. And the choice is really important. Uh, when I talk to people, for example... Uh, people who read lots and lots of scripts in Hollywood, development executives, one of the things they have said to me is they get very worried when things are happening to the character mm -hmm. and the character is not making their own active choices. So I just want to be very careful to say that when we're talking about discoveries and things that are happening to characters, it's really important that you don't view them in isolation, but that you view them as what is going to lead to the next part of the story, usually the next scene. Cause and effect. It's cause and effect. Cause and effect. Very important. So, like... I sat down over the weekend and reread um, Nora Ephron's script for When Harry Met Sally. Um, it's such a beautiful script. Mm. It really, you know, it's interesting. A really beautiful script. You can just actually read independently of the movie and just be thoroughly. Really, that's my experience. A really good script. Wow, that's impressive. So, anyways, I was reading it and I was thinking about what you'd wanted to do today, Sean. And there's a moment in Act Two when Harry, Harry's wife, mm -hmm. leaves him. Mm -hmm for another man and when Sally's uh, Sally and her her romantic partner break up mm -hmm. so this is like a discovery right mm -hmm. infidelity mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. he doesn't want to that Sally's partner doesn't they don't quite want the same thing right and now it's basically the setup for the choice of the entire second act yes and the entire question which is can two friends who are basically attracted to each other but just be friends and what choices are they going to make around that right Right. It sets a, it's the whole, it's the discovery. And then ultimately it will lead to the final choice where they, when they decide that mm -hmm. they want, want to be romantically involved. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, typically it works on a smaller scale in, in narrative. There's mm -hmm. a small thing that happens that leads, small discovery leads to the next choice. But I'm just using this to sit, to show you how the discovery sets up the choice that, because in every scene after they've made that discovery, your audience is asking, oh, are they going to make the choice now to engage with each other romantically or not? Right up until the point where Sally, Meg Ryan's character, discovers that her partner is marrying someone else and she's devastated. Mm -hmm. And she calls Harry and asks him to come over. Mm -hmm. And they hug. And then she, I believe, kisses him. And they have sex for the first time. That choice. Uh -huh. That's, again, uh -huh. that's another discovery. She gets rattled and is devastated by the fact that her partner, her ex-lover is now with someone else, right? So it's all these things that are happening that then motivate choices and decisions. Like she makes a choice to call Harry and ask him to come over, right? Yes, that's a, that's a choice point, yes. Right. And, and the choice point is being activated. That's a great word, activated. Yeah. The choice point is being activated because it's been dormant, but it's being pushed to the front of the consciousness of the lead character yeah. by the discovery and so the discovery and the choice point are interlinked. Right. It should be, it should, I don't know about should, but most likely those discoveries are, are ramping up or leveraging the choice point and they're putting a, a, a pressure on it, either time or circumstances. You know, that's pretty much all we have to work with is time and circumstances in order to create the pressure for the, um, for the character to make a choice, an active choice. Right. And it's usually an active choice that's going to alter a relationship. Often, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna it's gonna there's gonna be a ripple effect, and for sure, and it has to be a th ideally it's a thing where you can't retract from, 
like if the character goes out and buys a car well he could always he or she could always go out and sell the car it's not irretractable but if someone says like um i want you to move to wisconsin it's it's possible to retract from wisconsin but it's it's a lot of work to move right yeah right. and to get a lease and blah 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 or buy a house. and i want to say something about the discoveries this discoveries need to feel organic to the world they live in mm-hmm. and to their histories mm-hmm. right like because sometimes uh, it's almost like writers feel like things need to happen in a story mm-hmm. so they make mm-hmm. a discovery they're just like that's not presented to us earlier as organic to someone's world right and then you're just and you can see it's there to motivate it's they call it a MacGuffin sometimes mm-hmm. it's just there to motivate a choice because you need the plot to go in a different in a certain direction we're not talking about that. These discoveries all need to be organic to a character's history and are often there all along, but there are things that the character is not necessarily conscious of. Right. Like the infidelity is the classic example. If your character was more conscious, they would realize that there was something wrong in their marriage. Or unless you're a guy. Right. Or you're male. Yeah. Or you're male. Matter. Yeah. Then it, it's like, you know, because, you know, there's a thing called a clueless guy, right? But I've never heard anyone say a clueless girl. They don't exist. If you are a clueless girl, you know, please contact me immediately. (laughs) Josh would like to date you. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, so much for that that approach. Yeah, I mean, what were we talking about now? We were organic nature of discoveries. Yes, organic. I want to think of a better example than the marriage example, the infidelity example. Well, like, uh, like if if the if the person was aware that they were performing poorly at work they wouldn't be necessarily surprised they're getting fired Mm. you know that would be uh uh, another situation where you know what you're acting like that you're acting surprised like (laughs) (laughs) you know you barely show up at all but i'm here you know you've called in sick 10 times so let's talk about choice points for half a second since we're almost talking about them Mm -hmm. um choice points have two things that can embellish them one is is that the character is conflicted about making the choice point on an inward level. Hmm. Like, I, I love the example you just brought in, Harry met Sally. So she's at a choice point of making a phone call and calling Harry, right? Yeah. So does she have any conflict about whether she should call him or not? In that scene, I think that, I think the conflict is much more internal for her about the core question of whether she should engage romantically with Harry because she's rejected him the whole movie his advances right and it's so it's it's kind of a complicated movie because there really is just this one major choice in the whole movie which Sally and him have to make and they have to sort of each transform to make it but it's going to set up the ultimate choice which is whether she's going to really commit to him romantically Right, which is which is most romantic comedies. I mean, romantic yeah. comedies are yeah. that's part of the parcel of the thing. But so if 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 I'm using that as an example now, if she didn't have conflict about about whether she should or shouldn't call Harry in that moment, right. it wouldn't. It, I would not qualify that as a choice point. In other words, if she has no resistance, she she gets dumped by the guy. She runs home, picks up the phone, says, "Harry, can you come over?" And, and yeah. I'm lonely. That is not a choice point. A choice point is when there's when there's active consideration, should I, should I, shouldn't I, right? There's conflict. And then if you want to go to the next level, <clears throat> it would be amazing is that there's an immoral dilemma. Mm. And when the character is leveraged against a moral dilemma, that's even better. So I love that you're thinking about this. <laughs> this is great. I thought a lot about that script. Yeah. 
The final scene is a New Year's event. You always love ritual and events. And that's when Harry goes to her and says, yeah. I want, you know, the first day of the rest of my life to start right now. That famous line. Aww, hey. that's so sweet. And she's sort of crying and saying, but I can never trust you because you sleep with every woman in New York City. <laughs> right? And that's her That's her moral dilemma. Like, can she... Right, re- right. Can, that's, that's fantastic. Like, right. can she really trust him? Yeah. And that is an enormous choice, like the ultimate choice point. It's also the sort of the climax of the movie. Sure. But... Yeah, I mean, people are, you always see the sort of moral dilemma choice point often in like mob movies, crime movies, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the good guy has to do a job, mm-hmm, just one job mm-hmm. to help his family. Right. You know, because his kid needs help. You mm-hmm. know, they're sick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sort of walking to the dark side is kind of the setup in a lot of those choices. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But the classic Discovery Woods discover that your kid needs surgery and then you have no money your mob friend asks you to deliver a package right right now you're leveraged on a moral level your wife's sitting there telling you what are you doing where are you going tonight right you're like it's just a small thing i'll be right back right like that's the that is the archetypal i think mm-hmm. one of the archetypal examples of yeah. a moral dilemma Right, and and it's also causing friction within the husband and wife because now yeah. the husband's keeping a secret, right? Which is fantastic. I mean, it's not healthy for a regular relationship. So please, if you're going to go do a hit, don't <laughs> don't keep it a secret. Yeah. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those sorts of. I'm trying to think of another moral dilemma that you see often. Well, like any any time that you have religious dogma, uh, telling you to do one thing and and you do the opposite, or or you're being asked to do the opposite that's that's usually a good moral dilemma that's sort of the foundational issue in in spotlight the movie about the catholic diocese Mm -hmm. where it's like Mm -hmm. every decision is leveraged by the morality of the fact that the catholic church is covering up pedophilia exactly right so every time someone at the catholic church tries to you Mm -hmm. know feels Mm -hmm. conflicted and tries to push them away Mm -hmm. there's always moral weight to the choice yes and that's 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 really really strong uh, decision making as a writer, you know, when you're making those, when you're leveraging your character to make those choices. You always talk about that one that you like so much, Michael. Uh, oh, Michael. The, uh, Michael Clayton. Yeah. You're talking about the verdict. Oh, the verdict. Yeah. That was an adaptation of a book, and so good at making it all about the moral choices of an alcoholic lawyer. Mm-hmm. But basically, the core scene is when the hospital where the malpractice has, which has left his client in a coma, mm-hmm. offers him a couple hundred thousand dollars to go away because they don't want it to go to trial. Yes. And the scene prior, he has seen, he's gotten to take pictures of his client in a coma. And the purpose of those pictures is really to extract more money and to guilt the hospital and the hospitals controlled by the Boston Archdiocese into giving him more money. But what happens is he sees his client and he feels something and he suddenly feels a moral obligation Right, so he makes a, makes a discovery in himself mm-hmm. that he's not just a guy who wants money, mm-hmm. a washed up alcoholic. He's someone who has a purpose. Mm-hmm. He feels an emotional connection and responsibility for his client. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, the next scene is him in the archbishop's office, which with the archbishop's assistant slash lawyer being like them handing him a check and saying, "Go away." Mm-hmm. So now he's got the moral weight of. Mm-hmm. His own lack of purpose in his life, the moral weight of needing to defend his client, uh-huh. and the fact that he needs money. So he's totally leveraged mm-hmm. at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when he makes the core choice that sets off the movie. He says, No, we're going to trial. <sighs> right? Knowing full well that they have a ton of money and he's going to have to go up against right. the best lawyers in New York City. And he's this alcoholic guy who can bring right. alcoholic lawyer 
who's been almost disbarred. And, you mm-hmm. know. So, you know, that is... Every sinner has a past. <laughs> yeah, right. Every saint has a future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a huge... Cho- that's a, that's a, it's a choice point built on discoveries. And what are the discoveries? His relationship to himself, his relationship with his client, the fact that he's been offered hush money to go yes. away. Yes. Everything. Yes. And it's even more loaded because he doesn't consult his client. The, the, right. the, the, the right. living members of his client. Yeah. And that'll come back to haunt him in the third act. Yes. And so... Because he, in that moment, he feels like he's doing the right thing. Okay. Yeah, even though it's well, cause technically part not, of it, yeah, technically, right. And technically. part of it's for him, not for his client. Because it's ultimately his story, too, which is what makes yeah. it even stronger. It's yeah. not just altruism for his client. It's like he needs a, he needs a win in his own life yeah. Yeah. to feel like... Because, he, because of his past. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I mean, I think that's why that script is taught at so many film schools. There's just so many reasons because ter- there are so many important choices and they're all choices that occur under leverage and with a moral backbone. So let's drill down on it. Uh-huh. So he, he made that choice, uh, uh, you know, he made that choice for himself uh, of like, I'm going to do this. Right. But it doesn't count because it doesn't count because... It's like there's an old saying, it doesn't count to become a vegetarian when you have no teeth. In other words, if you can't chew the food anymore and you go, well, you know what, uh, I'm giving up eating meat. Right. Well, it doesn't count because... It's got nothing to Because, yeah, because you, know, you, can't, you can't do it anyhow. So, now, you know. so in the same way, it's like if, if they don't offer him the money and he doesn't actively refuse it, right. then, then it's just another idea. Yeah, and, and Sidney Lumet, who made that movie, shot it beautifully. There's a moment where he looks at the check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, 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 they pace the scene beautifully. I'm, I have no doubt. So I'm, I'm just saying, so the choice point, I just want to make sure we have absolute clarity here. The He's got to hand that check back. He he has to be in the moment where it's like it's like he's he can touch it he can smell it he can lick it he can do everything he wants to it. It has to be offered to the other character on a golden platter. Right, and that's what we love to see as an audience. We love to yeah. see that moment, and the only way you get to that moment is by setting up the character yes really well and knowing all the circumstances of each of their life. Yes, right? you have to know their context to know how meaningful the choice is. Yes, and that when you talk about discoveries, that's what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. at this point, we know he's an alcoholic. At this point, mm-hmm. we know he has no money. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, we know he's kind of uh, just scraping by and a loser. Mm-hmm. Right, like. Mm-hmm. You know, and at this point, we also know we have a, an inkling of what he's going to be up against. Yeah. Right? Like if mm-hmm. he, if he mm-hmm. decides to go to trial, mm-hmm. they're going to destroy him. Yes. Morally, ethically, financially, he has a lot to lose. Yeah. So he's, f- again, fully, we're using that word, but it's a very helpful word, fully leveraged. Right. And always, and against all odds, he's still doing the right thing Mm. which will then also come to haunt him but we even call it you know we call it a setup so all those discoveries that we that happened before this choice major choice point um are laid out you know beautifully yeah and i just want to make a small point and you see this i think more in film than in tv but in film you have these characters that get rooted for Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you leverage someone morally, you mm-hmm. are rooting for them. In mm-hmm. Spotlight, you are rooting for those journalists to expose uh, the Archdiocese of, of Boston because because they're continuing an act of pedophilia towards children. Yeah. So you're just, whereas 
I think in some respects television is interesting because sometimes you have that, but sometimes you have Frank Underwood in House of Cards where he does have choice points and he is often leveraged, but your curiosity is often in seeing how he navigates situations more than just rooting for him to work his way through. It's the difference between a 90-minute and uh, and an episodic that's, you know, 15, 20, yeah. 30 hours of story. Yeah. And we, yeah. we've done an episode yeah. on character transformation. We did a double yeah. episode earlier that if you haven't listened to, I would really listen to it because we talk a lot about yeah. the difference between um, television and film, which is not to say choice points aren't massive. I mean, in Breaking Bad, when Walter oh White decides God. to cook meth, yeah. like... The, that's a huge choice and he's leveraged by his family by finances by his cancer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not that it doesn't happen in television it's just that uh sometimes there's a clarity with which we root for characters in mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. that makes it so obvious mm-hmm. you know and you know those films where everyone's like don't do it or yeah. take the you know take the thing if if we're on the edge of our seat like going oh my god are they or are they not because we know what they want right and the conflict is alive, and we have to we have to be a hundred percent certain that they don't that they don't that they could go either way. Yeah. Because if if it's weighed heavily to one side or the other, then there's no conflict either. There's no drama. Yeah, that's an important point, which is something we've talked about in past episodes. That if you know basically where the scene ends yeah. at the beginning of the scene, yeah, it's not really a choice. Yeah. Because we know, like, you know, and. Sometimes uh, it's just often surprising, right? Like sometimes uh-huh. it's all been set up, but we're still not expecting that behavior. Yeah. And then they make a choice we don't expect, but mm-hmm. it exists within the realm of possibility of something they could do. Mm-hmm. Like in in that scene I'm describing mm-hmm. when Harry met Sally, mm-hmm. I don't think the audience at that point is expecting Sally to initiate uh, sexual contact with Harry. Because it's, she it's has unexpected. resisted it. She has resisted it the whole movie. Right. And yes, she's vulnerable, but because she's vulnerable and because we've watched for probably 40 minutes their friendship develop and then become closer, uh-huh. it seems, and we've had them talk about them dating other people, it's actually not what we expect, but we accept it. Whereas sometimes characters do things completely unexpected. Right. And we're just like, why are they doing that? Yeah, we, random, random. Yeah, it seems random. It yeah. seems for another purpose. Yeah, arbitrary. So a random and arbitrary have their 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 places it's not to say that they don't ever exist but okay so this is exciting for me so you talked about you know she picks up the phone and makes a phone call right. so in that moment she's the predator in that moment for a moment give it to me Adam. come on give it to me just say yes she's crying but okay. she's crying but but she's reaching out she's the she's she is the initiator she's definitely the initiator yes i want to say predator <laughs> Josh unconscious so and so now that that creates another choice point for harry which is Will he or won't he? Will he or won't he come over? Yeah. Because if he's really, like, if he's really into a sensitive male like I am, you know, he'll hear how vulnerable she is. And she's crying. And he's like, you know what? I really want to, I really want to take care of you. And I'll, I'll see you tomorrow morning for breakfast. Uh, right? You know? I, I don't know if that was active in that scene because I haven't seen it in a while. So you know, there's also the thing of, like, him having the insight of, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> score, right? But then he has to have that other thing of, like, is this a setup? Is she, is she, is this real? Because she's been saying no to me for six months. Well, to some degree, there has to be some sort of uh, ambivalence or not sure where this is all going when he's in the cab ride over. 
right. to some degree. Right. And sometimes there is ambivalence about choices as well. You see characters do things that you're not sure they want to do, but they do them anyways. Yeah. And in that scene, the way they played that was, you know, he's a guy who post his breakup can't handle intimacy so mm-hmm. he sleeps with lots of women mm-hmm. and so what does he do first thing in the morning Wait, i'm sorry is this a documentary about my life what <laughs> what <laughs> oh ho! i would love to have some of your exes as guests <laughs> <laughs> i would pay so much money really okay i'm sorry i thought this was one. okay yeah. you would yes, be like huh? in a little penalty box in the corner and i would just interview her you would just have to watch but i would give you like an intercom like you know like an interrogation cell and i uh-huh. would just like buzz you i'd be like josh she says this what okay. do you say weigh in i i, I get like 12 seconds to weigh you in. get 12 seconds and okay. then mid while you were saying i would just turn you off okay, of course <laughs> but um what he does is yes he she opens her eyes in the morning and he's already putting his clothes on to leave and he's short with her in the morning and that's true to his character, right? Ooh. Right. He it's too much intimacy for him to hang out for breakfast. So, so then then how do they navigate? Which she open he opens she opens the door. He walks in, and then how do they navigate between the door opening and the waking up moment? I haven't seen the movie in a while. I just read the script. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no. He comes in and she's crying, and she puts her arms around him. And predator. That, that leads to yeah. A predator. Kiss. Yeah. Okay. Hu- I got yeah. It. Okay. <laughs> it's vulnerability it's re- it's reverse predator i got it i know what's going on but mm-hmm. i'm just telling you that like then that that's have gonna... you ever been to a funeral yeah but can i just finish this okay one all right i'm just can i just say one thing about uh-huh. this movie the reason he leaves in the morning is because the the character transformation is not complete yeah and he's ambivalent and they make the choice and that actually that choice sets up the next 25 minutes of the movie where she's angry with him yeah for how he handled them having sex yeah you know and making her feel unloved and that will set up the climax where he goes where he has to ultimately change this is a common trope in romantic comedies mm-hmm. the man must embrace his love give himself to the woman he must transform right. get over his fear of intimacy right. and he will then go to the new year's party and ask for her back yes right mm-hmm. which is the the second to the last scene the last scene of the movie is them obviously mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. um so even sometimes when they make choices, they still revert back to who they are as characters, which is what he does essentially in the morning. Oh, and he probably oh, yeah. never changed, right? He didn't change in that scene. Not really. Not really. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, that she's kind of, she's after him. You know what I mean? She's after him, and she's hoping to get her emotional needs met, but he doesn't change. But she has an overlay of such a high emotional need that she's willing to go past what she would normally go past. Right. You know what he, I mean? He like, wants something he's not emotionally transformative enough yet to, to actually execute. Right. And she's asking that of him without asking that of him because she right. knows his character. She knows right. what the, what's going on. And yet her emotional need is so high that that circumvents. Because like why now, why today, right? Why now, why today is because her emotional need is so high right. that and he's, a, he's safe. Right. Well, she, I, yeah. He's become her best friend. Which right. is the answer? To, which is the answer to the question, like mm-hmm. the premise of the movie? Can yeah. two can a man and a woman who are attracted to each other be friends? Which is set up early on right. in the first ten minutes of the movie, right? With the whole thing with all the older couples doing their bit. Yeah, and it's there's a scene in a yeah a scene in a diner where yeah. I mean the setup is yeah impeccable. I want to do an episode on what is the perfect script because sometimes mm-hmm. I hear this tossed around. Mm-hmm. And I I feel terrible because I hate this notion of perfection. But occasionally I do have these scripts where I just go back to them. And I was like, every single scene here was caused by another scene. Mm-hmm. Every single action is unique. Everything is 
um, tonally consistent. Yeah. It all, it's like building the perfect puzzle. Right. Check, check, check. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And you're just like, and it touches you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I would put Michael Clayton in that category. Okay. Tony Gilroy script. Okay. Mammoth script for uh, the verdict. And then there's this huge jump between the script and, and, you know, sitting in a dark room and watching it. You know? Right, right. It's hard to t- it's hard to disaggregate that from the fact that they performances got, and directors like, and lighting they got, and like, editors, the most and, amazing yeah, people yeah. to do every other job. On yeah, this. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it all comes together because you have to breathe life into it, Adam. You have to breathe life. Have you ever been to a funeral? My one final comment is <laughs> I, I wish I could have read When Harry Met Sally without uh-huh. having seen the movie. Yeah, that's what I wish with these scripts is that I read them almost always after the movie, and so it's so hard to know. It is, isn't it? The only only way to get around that is to start reading scripts that have been unproduced. And a recommendation, if there are people out there who want to do that, usually there's some crafty um, assistant in Hollywood who puts out the the blacklist as one PDF on a Google Drive. Mm-hmm. So the blacklist is the 50 um, best unproduced scripts in Hollywood that's yeah. put out every year. And if you root around the internet, you can kind of find it. And it's oh, really? good because I like uh-huh. reading those scripts because... Uh, you haven't seen the movie, so you really get a sense of like what is a great script that was. Um, could you could you give the uh, the name of the website? Is is it just called the? Bl- well, the blacklist is the name of the organization that uh-huh. does this, but usually there's just some Google Drive. It's like if you Google, okay, like I got two thousand, I got you seventeen blacklist mm-hmm. scripts. Mm-hmm. There's usually some Google Drive, public Google Drive sitting somewhere that you can kind of find where you can download all the scripts. Usually, if you can't get 2017, you can get another year. But usually what's interesting is because you'll look back and some percentage of those will end up on, mm-hmm. will get made. Like I think right. the Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch was on the blacklist yeah. and ended up getting made. And So, you know, it always it's always kind of that thing. I have been to a funeral. I'm sorry. Yes, I've been it's, to a funeral. So it's on the dark web is what you're telling me. I can go find this on the dark web. I don't want to call it the dark web. web. I just think you need to... It's it down the QT. You might, have, you might have to up your Google. Really? <laughs> I have to get my Google game? Google search came up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I, I believe I we went and saw that guy talk, the guy who started The Blacklist, and he was talking about it, and he was saying that The Blacklist had more like Academy Award nominated films, and, but, like percentage-wise, it was like off the charts. Right, well, it's because it's typically um, often spec scripts, not mm-hmm. always, but mm-hmm. independent dramatic storytelling, which is what the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science likes to give us award to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. give awards to. So yeah. yeah, it's a lot of those. But yeah, and it's a, it's a survey of people, you know, people work at movie studios, people work at production companies of their favorite scripts that mm-hmm. have not yet been made. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've been to a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is called a callback. So uh-huh. when you like throw something out and it comes uh-huh. back and it actually can create comedy. It's a, it's for comedic effect sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but thematically, you know, you can also use it for theme and motif. It's also uh-huh. called a callback. So um, the, <laughs> the reason I was scared, if you've ever been to a funeral is because... I've been to funerals, and I've seen, you know, women crying, uh-huh. or I should say younger girls crying, and then, you know, some heroic guy comes up and consoles her, and I always look at that dynamic, and I think, hmm, I wonder, I wonder who she is. Is she like, is she like the daughter, or the granddaughter, or like the third niece, or, you know what I mean? Because it's like, it's a little convenient sometimes, in terms of, you know, the consolation that happens. 
What's convenient about it? The fact that she's oh, the con- on the on the perspective of the man consoling her. Yes, and so I'm wonder- and I always look at that dynamic, and I go, hmm, uh, what's who's the mo- who's calling in who here? You know what I mean? Because mm. the the overt dynamic is you know waif girl crying, someone comes over and consoles her. her. But then I'm like, well, you know, maybe, but there could be other layers here. Oh, like as Josh likes <laughs> to put it, did she set a trap? <laughs> The, 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 the reverse predator, the, the ladies, Josh predator. wants you to know that he sees through your tears. <laughs> <laughs> he knows that they are what they're motivated by and you cannot manipulate him. Okay. They're, gee, how's that for like a challenge? We're throwing down the gauntlet today, huh? I will not be manipulated by your tears. Crocodile tears. Um, I have a point of view on tears uh, yeah. and and uh, and uh, other things, but we'll have to leave that for another well, episode because we're running out of time. On, the, on this happy note, yes, uh, we just want to remind everyone we are so excited to be teaching a class starting September 17th, mm-hmm. the creative process for writers, actors, and storytellers. It's going to be an amazing experience. And come, come sign up. Come join it. Come... Mm-hmm push yourself into a really good space to do your most authentic, meaningful work. Okay, so what you just offered up to tie this all in uh, is, a, is a discovery. discovery. Everyone just made a discovery that, that Joshua and Adam are, are offering a, 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 what do you call it, a class, right, about the creative process. And then the choice point is up to each individual of like whether they like sign up for it or not. That's that's a choice point. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and in some ways, you know, from a, from a, from a, uh, certain perspective when we make choices the word the world starts to reassemble as we make choices isn't that wild to think about Hmm. so the class actually starts on the day you sign up or the day yeah the day you actually sign up things start to shift and the same thing in characters and in scripts it's like or in stories when the character decides that he or she wants to get married then all of a sudden the world starts to morph and it's exciting Thank you for listening. This has been Notes on Your Notes. The music on the show is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. The sound editing and design is courtesy of me. We will talk to you next week.